I wanted to call out to Lou Rentis, the, the gentleman who sent us some email recently from feedback. And oh, he, yeah. he linked us. He's actually from the Netherlands. I was hoping he, Kenny was a friend of yours, but it turns out probably no. not. No, no, I don't know that name, but if he's here, please. Shit, I should reply to him. Well, I'm going to throw a link into the show notes for him. Um, he wrote a, an essay about how blockchain is morally bankrupt. And <laughs> yeah, I'm entirely that... on board with that. So I'm linking oh, that absolutely. one. And I, I appreciate the feedback, Laurentis. I really I enjoyed reading it. And I, I completely agree with you. Yeah, there's some really well thought out reasoning and arguments yeah. out there. So it's really nice to see somebody per, applying reason and logic rather than just kind of, you know, ranting into the wind. Um, so, yeah, that's an awesome read. Just like knowing that there's actually somebody listening. Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about BeyondCorp, a zero-trust model for accessing otherwise private networks. Friends, we enjoy podcasting because we're passionate about computers and sharing the experience of running systems at scale with the next generation. Would you help us fulfill our mission and consider sponsoring the Practical Operations Podcast and offering feedback? Contact us at feedback at operations.fm. So, BeyondCorp. It's a phrase that Google used originally, what, 10 years ago now, to describe a alternate to VPNs. We did an episode of VPNs a long time ago, and for all of the, the, the supposed security benefits of a VPN... All it really does is make your your network come out somewhere else. So it, it makes it so your your browsing your your endpoint connection is not in your house or at the coffee shop, but in a corporate network somewhere. And there's a lot of security. And usually, that corporate network is as far away as possible, so it's as slow as possible, like well, California. Well, there's that, but the idea in the beginning was kind of like the with like perimeter firewalls. If you secure the the border of your network, you'll have a secure network. Well, yeah, that that works. No. <laughs> and Google has been doing security at scale for a long time, and their suggestion, their idea proposed by the Beyond Court model that a lot of other people have picked up is instead of having this super well-defended hardened perimeter with a you know, a gooey tasty center, you have everything secured. So you have client certificates on the devices, you have security policies, you have mutual TLS authentication, you harden every service individually, and that is a different way of operating. And today we're going to talk about that. And I, I think part of what you said too, because obviously some of the things we're going to talk about here is, is focused on like the server side or the central side where there's like a, pro, a reverse proxy that adds all the things. But an important piece to this that is usually not there, especially for a lot of open source uh, solutions, is the local device management of the system that you're going to use to connect to these services. Managing uh, the the certificates on the local device becomes a very important thing when you start doing this whole Beyond Corp thing. Uh, and managing and, and ownership of the device becomes an, uh, an important thing. And that's the one sad thing that I think a lot of these open source tools are missing, and that is Either that's not even used or it's 
that's beyond the 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 implementation of what they're doing. They're just like, well, we expect you to have a certificate already installed on the machine, or we expect you to do this and then go from there. So I, I think that is one point to make, uh, or, or something that is important here, and that is that uh, the certificate infrastructure, the PKI for this stuff, is much more important than it used to be, so to speak. So are we just talking about a mutual TLS option where both client and server have a certificate and they both uh, validate that each other's certificates are, are, are valid and correct before they connect? Or is there, is there something more to this? So part of it is that adding trust to otherwise untrusted networks. Jack, you and I worked at an organization many years ago that all of our workstations and printers and everything else were on the public internet, the publicly routed internet, and the model there was to secure the individual server or secure the individual process or to secure, secure the individual workstation. The rather model than... there was who could print the King James Bible on which printer. Well, true. But <laughs> there was no differentiation between somebody on the network and somebody off the network. And that is kind of what Beyond Corp is doing, but with a much more focused security perspective. So you have device certificates, you have two-factor authentication, you have a, you have something that sits in between the client device and the server that helps um, authenticate and filter and apply policies. So in a way it's saying we don't trust anything, including our internal network is the, the zero trust part of this. I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense that you shouldn't, I mean, you shouldn't trust anything. I, the VPNs, the part that always scared me is, well, because I did it. Uh, one company, one job, I didn't feel like bringing it up all the time. So I set it up on my router that my router connected to work. And then I didn't have, then anytime I had to go to work, I just SSH to those machines. But of course, I meant <laughs> if anybody else compromised my network, they yep. were in work as well. And that, you know, that's, yes, I did it, but it, that's the big hole with VPNs is you don't know really what's on the other end of that. Well, no also, how much you secure it. The, the other problem with VPNs, primarily in my experience, is if you go to any major corporation and type in vpn.domain.com or whatever it is, and you get presented with a login page, well, anybody who, who steals the credentials of an employee of that organization without two-factor authentication can log in to the VPN and suddenly you are inside that nice juicy center and you are doing whatever you want because you have accessed the VPN. VPNs are not a panacea. They're, they give people this false sense of security and I don't like it. The thing I love most about VPNs is you, you know, you set up your VPN client, you connect in, you're, you're, you're into your work environment. Traffic is working as expected, but to, for the VPN to work, the VPN's got to be able to redirect your local traffic through your local gateway, your, your local internet uh, router modem thing uh, to get to where the VPN endpoint is on the internet. So to do that, your machine still has access to your local network. So while I've got my VPN software up and running, because my personal machine is on the same network that I might work from, I can still SSH to my personal machine and you know, pull stuff back and transfer stuff around. And you know, doesn't that sort of violate the whole concept of, of building that walled garden um, for that trusted network and access? Oh. And, Kind of scary. 
that that assumption is also based on the VPN client. Um, Jack or uh, Ken and Jared and I worked at an organization a bunch of years ago that when the VPN was connected, like um, Bonjour or ZeroConf or whatever the 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 local dis um, DNS discovery multicast multicast DNS discovery stuff locally was, printing would stop working because yeah. <laughs> they turned firewall rules on on your machine that they forced onto onto a connection. So there are VPN softwares that try to pretend they're more secure. But anyway, back onto the main topic. <laughs> um, Keyword pretend. Exactly. Beyond Corp is, is moving out of that model. And a lot of places offer this as a paid solution. So you could go to Cloudflare, you can go to Duo, you can go to probably half a dozen at this point organizations and pay them money and they will handle your 2FA needs. They will handle um, endpoint security. They will handle installing certificate and, pro and profiles on people's iPhones and Android phones and everything else to allow this kind of model to work. And Jared and I, over the past, I don't know, a couple of weeks, have been poking at the idea that we both have very fast internet connections at home. And we have things at home that we would like to access when we're not home, which obviously doesn't happen as much because of the pandemic. Like, wait, you leave your house? Yes. <laughs> but I, in particular, wanted to get access to a hosted version of VS code that I know, I know the Holy Wars, um, github.com. You open your repository and you press the period button, I believe. Yes. But that's the if you're using editor, if that's, if you're using GitHub and I have some code that I'm not putting on GitHub, but I also want to access it when I'm not at my desk. So I also don't want to give sort of randos on the internet access to attack my, my code server install. So this was kind of the step zero for being able to even do that. And I got it working. Yeah, I'm, I'm really jealous because I, yeah. I have not gotten <laughs> as far as I wanted to. But I, I, I think for anyone, especially who runs a uh, you know, home server, home uh, place where they're playing with, with different things, this is, a, is almost a must-have because then you can put things on the internet. And especially now with, uh, Let's Encrypt offering free certificates. I remember years ago when playing with stuff that, you know, I had to, uh, if I put it on the internet, there was no way I was going to SSL protect it because certs were so expensive. And now you can yeah. not only get encryption for free, you can have a half decent uh, a model that will protect everything to where you can put it on the public internet and not necessarily worry, maybe as much anyway, that someone's going to be able to exploit a flaw in it. Yeah, it's it's really cool stuff. Um, I own a couple of domains. You know, domains used to be really expensive as well. Now they're fifteen bucks a year if you're willing to pay the pricey stuff for you know .dot com or .dot net. And with Let's Encrypt, owning your own domain, having it registered in something like Cloudflare, so you have control over DNS, makes it really easy. And then the trick becomes: what pieces of software are you running? How do you configure them? How do you persist that configuration? And conveniently, I have some experience like running and configuring software. Say it's not so, Brendan. That makes one of us. Oh, I mean. Ooh. <laughs> I, I know you're better than Damn. I am. It's fine. <laughs> so at Jared's suggestion, I started looking at traffic, which has one of those hipster spellings, but it is a... Traffic. It is on their website. They say it is traffic? pronounced traffic. The pronunciation guy. A E F I K. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and essentially, it is a reverse proxy that functions a lot like Nginx or other tools you're used to, 
but it handles authentication. It handles 2FA handoff. It has tools built in for doing like autom automating your Let's Encrypt certificate requests. So when you bring up a new Docker container, it automatically figures out that you want, you know, Docker container name dot domain dot com requests that sets it up. It takes about 15 seconds and then you have a valid trustable global cert signed SSL cert on that container that is spun up. It's pretty cool. This, honestly, when you post, put this in the show notes and I was reading, I was like, this has got to be too good to be true. And I, I want to use it because right now I just have a Bastion SSH on my home connection and that's it. So wow. the trick with traffic, and I will warn people who are not minded like we are, traffic is designed for Kubernetes. Hard stop. It'll run on other things. You can have it run on Docker, either Swarm or whatever. You can have it talk to console. You can have flat file configuration. It's designed for Kubernetes. And I was about to say, that sounds like a Kubernetes controller. <laughs> it is a full function Kubernetes ingress controller. Um, yep. The manual configuration is so painful because it assumes so much of what you're doing is already populated with labels, is already populated by Kubernetes, is already doing all these other things. And you have to figure out all the bits you want to have in there. And the documentation really assumes that you're just installing this in Kubernetes or at worst Docker Compose. And eh, not a safe assumption. Well, don't we all me. have our Raspberry Pi clusters running? I do, I do, I do, I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to mention at some point that uh, as much as I do like to talk about Kubernetes on the show, I actually don't run it locally. And <laughs> I actually, my, my preferred, well, for right now, I've been using running Docker Swarm because it's just been so simple to set up. Uh, but I'm currently switching over to Nomad, um, which is another HashiCorp product. And that's also what got me into into traffic um, is because uh, Nomad, much like uh, Kubernetes, has the concept of uh, ingress controllers, and uh, that's one of the ones that was recommended in a, in a tutorial that I found. So, yeah, I, I would love to, I mean, I don't know if I'd say I'd, I'd love to, but it, it would be nice to run Kubernetes at the house. I just don't want to because it's just so, it's just so heavy. It is. It it. And we've discussed this before. Yeah. Running one yourself on some bare metal of your own, which pies qualify for. It's a lot of work. It is. Kubernetes from scratch is Linux in 93. Right. You got to do a mountain of stuff yourself that you assume is, is already there. That being said, I did it. I want to use this. I am jonesing so hard to try traffic at home and because it does it, it it would make it so much nicer when the wife calls and wants me to well add a show to the downloader thing that i don't actually run i it's just a hypothetical problem um <laughs> it would be nice to be able to get access to it from work instead of uh having to do a lot of port forwarding and playing around and try to get the traffic correct this really, I really want to set it up and try it. Yeah, so traffic and, and, is really cool, but traffic's only one part of the solution. You also need the the 2FA, the authentication pieces of it, because a lot of the, the simple web apps that we run on our local servers at home weren't designed with any kind of real authentication or security or any of that in mind. It's 
hey, it's a, it's a web server that you can go and poke and turn things on and off with. It's not, it wasn't designed to be hardened for internet service traffic kind of stuff. And that's kind of my point. It's not just mutual TLS or some auth-in and auth-z system. There's a whole sort of chain of systems that we need to understand to, to implement a Beyond Corp-like uh, solution. What frustrates me about doing this in AWS, AWS has the, the Zero Trust tools, but you know they, they kind of give you the, the tool bag and assume that you can assemble the solution that works for you where the GCP solution is, is really quite nice. It really is. Actually, the GCP solution has one other super amazing benefit, which is, uh, what do they call it? The Essentially having your login, your SSH logins to your instances be automatically derived from your projects. Um, OS login? Yeah, OS login. OS, yeah, OS login. God, I miss it. And it just works. <sighs> and you're not trying to manage user yeah. accounts on instances. Oh, it's so nice. Anyway, um, Yes, please, AWS. Yeah. Hear us. Hear us. We want to automate user accounts on machines. I know I, we're not supposed to SSH in anymore. We're supposed to use our logging stuff. Please automate that part. I hate guessing between Ubuntu, EC2 user, or whatever else somebody decided to do. I it really was, want to SSM uh, over to my EC2 instance, and that would be great. But if I can't tell SSH over SSM then what good is the connection? So traffic also handles it as a TCP and UDP router, so you can have SSH flowing over it. It's pretty cool. Um, I'm using Athelia as my 2FA solution. It's also self-hosted, and it seems to be pretty solid. And you can have it. You can set it to say, these individual hosts inside the network do not require 2FA or even 1FA, but outside they do, and all kinds of other interesting rules. The Athelia configuration was very straightforward and took me about 15 minutes to set up. So that felt pretty good. And then of course, because I'm using traffic and it's using, it's using let's encrypt, it automatically got my TLS certificates hooked up. So now when I'm outside the network, I can connect, no, I'm connecting to my hosts due to FA. I've got Google Authenticator hooked up there and I have secure access to the things that I've configured for external access. It's, it's very slick. And all the domains and all the paths and all the bookmarks work exactly the same at home as they do anywhere else. I love it. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely nice. Um, and and I think the reason that the Athelia solution is, is as nice as it is, as it is is because there is a company behind it, and they're trying to, you know, upsell you on a on a product. But I think they do a decent job of at least um, not restricting all the nice features for like just the paid product. Yeah, and their docs are very straightforward and their configuration files are very easy to, to reason about and work with. I highly recommend. Um, now, I have a question though. You said the DNS works the same inside as out. Um, how? So two pieces there. Um, I am running a bind server internally that has a res response policy zone set up. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, it's okay. running a single zone file that is just, it only looks at, it, it essentially pretends that it's authoritative for a zone. So it's, it's authoritative for one of my domains and it serves essentially split horizon DNS inside the house. So if you're inside the house, it resolves to the server that has traffic installed on it. And if you're outside the house, you're getting the Cloudflare DNS entry instead. But I've realized that with the port forwarding rules, the way Unify's UDM handles it, I don't need the internal bind zone anymore because it just works. 
So I'm actually going to shut the bind, the bind server off tomorrow because it's one less thing to manage and bind obviously is, um, I've run DNS before. Um, again, kind of like Kubernetes, it's just not for the faint of heart. Yeah. I'm and doing it's not the same. like it's that hard. It's the, yeah. the knowledge of how DNS works in, in detail yes. that prevents you from making a silly configuration mistake. Yeah, I'm doing Split Horizon DNS internally for the same reasons, to get access to stuff inside that I can then access from outside. And doing it with Bind and claiming to be authoritative from inside the house for things that I'm not when I'm outside. And yeah, yeah. Both of you. you both of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, for Shake Bind, my fist. <laughs> for Bind, look at response policy zones. I'll, I'll put a link to the show notes to the guide that I used for this. Um, but on modern routers, if you have a like a like a not the ISP's default crummy router, when like you a do sense box, when you do port forwarding rules, even when you hit the external address, it doesn't make you transit the internet. So it's essentially local full speed, and you can have your external entry pointing at like a, a dynamic a dynamic dns client of some variety and then everything just sort of routes together mm. and it works and it's very consistent i for years ran a linux machine with two nicks as my router and getting that to work with ip tables rules and stuff like that was i gave up um, but here i am stuck with a dsl router from my isp will have to try that because maybe I don't need to be doing it. Well, I mean, I spent hours researching this before I, I tried it because I'm generally hesitant to just expose things to the internet. And so I was trying to get my port forwarding rules figured out and okay, how do you, how do you hairpin NATs on the UDMs and looking and looking and looking. Okay. And what's a hairpin NAT? A hairpin, a hairpin NAT is when you're essentially doing that, um, the port bending immediately on the router. So when you hit an address, it comes back into the local network. So if you had two, if you had two um, VLANs, for example, or two networks on the same router, and you didn't want to have them bridge to each other, you wanted to go through the router but not actually go to the external interface, a hairpin NAT rule kind of bends it around for you. Gotcha. And I was looking and looking and looking, and I couldn't find anything authoritative. And it's because Unify has just fixed it. So when you turn a port forwarding rule on, it just does it automatically for you and you don't have to do special configuration. And I was like, oh, well, that's actually pretty good. Handy. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to say this was the most straightforward process. There was a fair amount of cursing in different, different places. And I also did look at other products or other solutions. Um, notably, I have a Cloudflare account for my DNS and I figured I'd, I'd try their and it's teams is Cloudflare for teams or something is their commercial product, which is free for small numbers of users. And I really liked it right up until I got to the iOS client. <laughs> Have any of you run the warp iOS client before? No. Um, OS two warp. About. Yeah. That's, that's what jumped into my head. So obviously <laughs> not. <laughs> So um, Cloudflare, among other things, runs the 1.1.1.1 DNS resolver, and they introduced a, a caching VPN security something under the solution a couple of years ago. And they have an iOS client, like a, a VPN client you can install. That was always kind of buggy for me and always kind of not doing what I wanted, which was frustrating. And their zero comp whatever solution isn't doing this. 
it is essentially doing a reverse VPN. You install something on your private network. It makes a connection to Cloudflare's network. And then you enter their network via the VPN or via the warp client. And it handles the connections and traffic and everything else. And I was okay with that right up until you have to install their TLS certificates on your devices so they can man in the middle all of your traffic so they can inspect everything and do security. And oh, hell yeah, no. hard stop. I stopped. <laughs> I walked away. Hard stop. And I'm sure that there's, you know, if, if I was a lawyer for a big tech company, I could probably figure out what I needed there. But I, no, the whole point of this to me was I knew the pieces and I could trust the pieces. And the moment I have to install somebody else's profiles yeah, and certs like that, I'm done. Yeah, the moment you add that perception of, I'm not sure I can trust this transition. And I like Cloudflare a lot. I, I have a lot of faith in that company. I use their services too. Um, so they're, they're, I think, one of the good guys on the internet. They really but, are. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Um, I, I do like their model. And they're for, for certain organizations and certain purposes. If you do not want to have your router exposed to the internet, it's actually pretty reasonable. You can you can do whole networks over their their daemon. You can do individual hosts. You can do all kinds of stuff. But there's a there's a there's a certain base level of trust you have to accept that I wasn't willing to accept. Did, um, you, you mentioned that you looked at some other stuff. Um, I'm wondering, did you look at some of the other open source uh, or some of the I, I guess kind of quasi open source where there's you know companies behind them. Especially for the like the two FA or the um, proxy bits like OAuth two proxy, Ori or Pomeramium, Pomeramium. I don't know how to say that. Not in detail. Um, I was getting very close to throwing traffic out and finding something else because I was so frustrated with the assumptions you're running in Kubernetes, and I'm not. But I did finally get it working, and so I I stuck with it. It seems to be well-documented in terms of, or sorry, not well-documented. It seems to be well-used and understood in the industry. So I'm assuming that they're going to get a corresponding number of security and performance patches and fixes over the years. Um, I was really hoping to do something like OADC or something like that to tie my Google login, like my Gmail login to this whole thing. So I could essentially sign into Gmail and then have that act as my sign-in but I've not figured that piece out yet. And I'm assuming the OAuth proxy would let me do that. Yeah, actually, I think you can do it with um, Othelia, but I'm wondering if it, if you have to have a uh, a G Suite or what a Google Workspaces thing. Which I, I do have. Be able to do it. Okay, cool. Then I think you can do that. Um, and conveniently... You just can't do it like where I go to Gmail. I have a, a Google Apps for my domain that binds to one of the domains that I own that I'm also proxying, so I could... I could, in theory, have that all kind of look quasi-professional, but yeah, I, haven't, I didn't need to dig into that, so I, I hadn't gotten into the other solutions. Right. Um, one of the ones that I, I'm probably going to lean uh, to Othelia as well, um, but one of the ones that I definitely want to keep my eye on is one called Ori. Uh, it's a... I mean, this is going to kind of set it up for failure in, in my, my say, comparing this to, but it, it reminds me of, um, um, oh man, what was the the big KVM thing or the big uh, 
virtualization platform thing that was very popular with all the with all of the uh, companies like Dell and everybody before Kubernetes came along. Uh, OpenStack, not OpenConnect. Yeah, OpenStack. Thank you. It it sort of reminds me of that, but it actually seems to be not as big. But I mean, they they have all these different pieces. They have like Kratos, Hydra, Oathkeeper, Cato. I mean, they've got all these different thing different pieces, but they're actually trying to implement. Um, like Cato is their, their implementation of Google's, uh, Zanzibar research paper. Um, so they, they actually are trying to implement like our uh, the way Google does. They're trying to, uh, do all these different things that they seem to be the most complete, but also, as I just mentioned, you're going to have to run at least, I think four different services, uh, to get all this. So it's definitely not a single binary that provides this for you. What is Zanzibar? Zanzibar is, uh, I, I think it was actually re- the white paper that was released with their, um, when they were talking about the, the Beyond Corp stuff. But it basically talks about how they handle uh, the authorization bits of Beyond Corp. Like, you know, based on this user, where they're coming from, these various th- attributes, do we allow them access to calendar, to, cl- you know, drive, to whatever, YouTube. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's very, I don't want to, I guess, well, I guess it is complex cause it's, it's from Google. It's one of their <laughs> research papers, but it's, it's very interesting, uh, you know, where they, they really try to sit down and talk about, you know, our back or, and model out all these different things, uh, you know, different relationships, uh, you know, dependencies, all that kind of stuff. And it's, I mean, like coming from Google, like looking at any of those other papers they've released, it's very big. It's got a lot of moving pieces to it, which is why the Ori stuff is very big or it has a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. Speaking of somebody who doesn't work in an organization that has Google-level resources, a lot of their stuff's great ideas. I don't have the resources to do it. Right. I need, and I, and- I need simpler. And that's the reason, like that's the reason I was really looking at Authelia because it it is it's a single binary. Uh, it does not, yeah. You, know, you don't have to have all these different pieces to it, and it does have, as as Brendan was mentioning, it does have some form of ACLs. I mean, most of these do have some way of saying, based on this email address, can they do this or that? It's just, I think the Ori one is actually a little more complex because it's not just can they have access to this application. Can they have access to these different methods or resources within this? Uh, like, like if you were to protect GitLab, you would say, "Well, I don't want them to be able to access to Project A or B." Um, and I think that's based on URLs, but not based on anything within GitLab. Uh, but again, you're going to have to run several different things for that to work. And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, I wouldn't want to run that. So the nice thing about my solution at home is I'm running two Docker containers. Exactly. One for traffic, one for Othelia. Oh, sorry, that's three nice. because I have my bind container as well. But I was already yeah, that's going that. away. Um, yes, I mean it, it's it's not thirty seven microservices that you have to pick up and choose between one of four block storage devices for the OpenStack analogy. That was always <laughs> the worst part of that project. Was like we've got four different storage backends and they're all a little different. And good luck. Yeah. I, OpenStack is an example of when these various companies uh, just destroy a project. And I'm very happy that that did not happen with Kubernetes. The other thing that this is encouraging me to do is more 
simple self-hosted things that I wouldn't have done otherwise. I ran a Git server that I was hosting in GCP for a long time, but it was a pain to remember to handle things and pick things up and rotate my Let's Encrypt certificates and other, other and finally I just shut it down because I was like, okay, this is not, this is not worth the time to go poke at. But if it's just a Docker container on my local network that when it comes up, it registers itself, I can get to it securely from outside and it handles my needs. Well, that, it lowers the bar so much that it makes me interested in these little projects now. And that's part of why I did this. Yeah, same here. That's that's the reason I was looking into this because I was uh, wanting to explore different little tools that would solve one problem but solve it very well versus trying to get a tool that would solve many problems, but they're all very halfway done or complete. Um, and... But then I was like, well, how am I going to either, one, tie this together with like a single user or worse, or more importantly, how am I going to protect this all? And so, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to having this stuff working in my network because uh, not only will I be able to open it to the public, but then also uh, other family members within the family because uh, I plan to, I have a G Suite account as well and I plan to have, and, and they have accounts there. My, my hope is, is to be able to have where non-technical users can actually sign in and use some of these products. But it's not like, oh, well, for this piece, you've got to have this password. Or come over here and type in this terminal, this scary terminal that doesn't show you anything. <laughs> type in your password first so you can, I can set up your account. Because, I mean, you know, who, who's done that before, like HT Access or whatever? So Yeah, yeah I've, I've gone Brendan's route, except instead of shutting those services down, I just say, well, only while I'm in the house. Right. <laughs> but imagine if you could get to all of those little web apps that you don't feel safe running on the internet, but you could do it safely on the internet. Oh, yeah. It opens up so many possibilities, and that's part of why I love this technology. And honestly, that's why I got into this, this field in the beginning was totally. the, yeah. that mind expansion of, I can, I can do what? You can run SSH on the internet again? <gasps> Yeah, now now that's one thing, Brennan. Have you looked at doing anything with SSH and uh, like MFA or anything yet? I have not. I want to get SSH turned on with either requiring keys and MFA or something for ex external access because I I want to I want to be able to SSH back into my house, but not allow myself to be attacked by every script kitty in the world who has a password file. Yeah. All right. <laughs> And the, the safest way to do that is not allow password logins at all. But you also then need something to keep it from, oh, somebody has stolen your private key somehow, and now they've taken control of everything. So I want, right. I want MFA. Yeah, the wheels are spinning with all the things that I want to do that this would open up. And I'm going to have to have to work on it. And and I really think that's the... and and. The, that's the the to me the magic of Beyond Corp, right? Is that it? It really, I, I mean, setting up a VPN at this point in time is probably easier than it's ever been before. I mean, iOS has built-in clients for IP uh, IPsec, or you can install an app that will uh, be a a VPN for you. So it's not like it's not accessible, but still, that's stuff that you've got to configure and set up and maintain. Whereas with a Beyond Corp setup, you still have some pieces of infrastructure to maintain, 
but that's it. You then don't have to uh, configure IPsec rules, and you don't have to worry about you know all these different things that you had to do with VPNs. You don't and, have network bottlenecks that prevent work from happening. Exactly. Like everybody's got to go through the proxy, and the proxy's down, or the proxy's maxed yeah. out. The proxy's not on a 10 gigabit link. Um, you're you're taking advantage of the networking that we already have without introducing single points of failure and upping the security. So, yeah. And this is one of those things that for a small organization, if you have 5, 10, 15 employee kind of things, and you don't have a lot of extra time to build out these solutions, it may not be the best way to do this, but it is certainly an inexpensive way if you have a competent SRE, systems engineer, DevOps person, however you want to title them these days, to do this kind of work instead of having to pay another organization, Duo or Cloudflare or whoever. The GCP's Beyond Corp is really pretty magical. And if you've got income coming in, it's a reasonable expense for your infrastructure. But what I'm saying is if you have a physical office somewhere, I know in these days that's a little bit weird. But if you have a physical office somewhere... I'm in my physical office. I mean, a, 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 a corporate office, not like your house, not your home office, Jack. Um, and you want it in the backyard. And you've got a stack of like, you know, Dell servers or something. This is a reasonable way to securely access them. Now, of course, you should take a very hard look at how you're configuring things and all of those bits. But I think it's a good, it's a good way forward. Yeah, agreed. I... I definitely like how it how you interact with things, and also one I think one piece kind of missing or not stated is that let's let's say you go the the VPN route. Well, then when you get to an actual web app, especially you still have authentication to handle. Whereas with Beyond Corp, that is the authentication, and so it's all tied together. So you 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 can possibly have single sign on. That's a whole other thing, and. Just because you have the same password doesn't mean you won't get single sign-on, but still, it can present the opportunity to where these applications can not only be protected, but you can have single sign-on, which is really nice. Yeah, I had forgotten to mention, you can pass custom headers based on whatever you want. So you can say, the username that came into Athelia, pass that along as remote user, or x-remote user, or whatever it is you like, and you can configure it per application. So if you're running different things that have different required headers coming in, you can have Athelia pass those headers along and make it look like single sign-on. It's actually kind of cool that way. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and coworkers. We would also appreciate folks taking the time to rate the show in Overcast, Apple Podcast, or your favorite podcast directory. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you would like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm or send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks, and good night. Wait, Dell is still a company? <laughs> <laughs>